The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the third chapter. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In 1966, Simon and Garfunkel recorded a song called The Seven O'Clock News. Anybody remember it? Familiar with it? We've got a few hands. You know, you're showing your age if you're raising your hands. It begins with them singing Silent Night in two-part harmony, accompanied by piano. The vocals are soft and tender and beautiful, and when they sing it, it sounds like a lullaby. And then, slowly and subtly, way off in the background, just barely audible at first, you begin to hear a male voice break in, saying, this is the early evening edition of the news. It's the voice of a newscaster reporting the headlines from August 3rd, 1966. The House of Representatives was in a fight over the housing rules of the Civil Rights Bill. Richard Nixon said that we had to increase our efforts in the Vietnam War. Nine student nurses were murdered. A comedian died from a narcotic overdose at age 42. Martin Luther King spoke about civil rights and violence. Gradually, the voice of the newscaster becomes louder and louder, and while it doesn't ever completely drown out the song, it certainly does rise to a level that competes with it, making it difficult to focus on either one, the hymn or the news. It's like you're in a pinball machine, with your attention being bounced back and forth, back and forth between the two. The juxtaposition of God's silent, holy night with the noise of this world is jarring and unsettling and disruptive and intrusive and unwelcome, so much so, in fact, that some have found the song to be a dark and depressing commentary on the power of the word of God. 
but I do not find that to be the case at all. It's worth repeating here, the song itself is never drowned out. The singers keep singing, all is calm, all is bright. And the hymn goes on, sleep in heavenly peace. No matter how loud the chatter of the world becomes, the song continues, functioning like a candle in the darkness. It will not be overcome. It will not be extinguished. So, far from a dark and depressing commentary on the power of the word of God, the seven o'clock news is a poignant metaphor for this life. By creating and building tension between the simple peace and beauty of a silent night and a world gone horribly wrong, it illustrates precisely where it is that we live our lives. We live in the tension. We live in the in-between. We live in a silent, noisy, holy, broken, calm, chaotic, bright, dark world. All at once. All the time. Today's gospel reading from the third chapter of Luke is like the seven o'clock news, only in reverse. It begins not with the words to a beloved tender hymn we know by heart, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. But rather it begins with this. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis and Lysanias ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And into that who's who accounting of the world order breaks the word of God, which came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, an otherwise unknown, uncredentialed man, at least by the world's standards, and especially so by comparison to the big shots named above. The word of God broke into the world, slowly and subtly, way off somewhere in the wilderness, in the gospel, it's not the voice of a newscaster recounting the events of the day that we hear, but rather it's the voice of a herald announcing the coming of our Lord. God is coming for his people. Prepare the way, he cries. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And just like the song, our attention is being divided and it's challenging to know where to put our focus. Back and forth and back and forth we bounce between the word and the news and the news and the word. The effect of juxtaposing a roll call of both political and religious world leaders with 
the word of God, is just as jarring and unsettling and disruptive and intrusive and unwelcome as it is in the song, and perhaps even more so because, frankly, it seems that there is greater resistance when the word of God enters into the world than when the world enters into the word. Let me say that again. It seems that there is greater resistance when the word of God enters into the world than when the world enters into the word. The poignancy of this gospel works to not only remind us of the tension in which we live, the in-between, but it also tells us how we are to live in it. First of all, we are not to escape it. God loves this world that he made. It was designed and called into existence out of a deep and a divine love. God's plan and purpose for our world at creation was called good, and that intention has not changed. To be sure, the world is far from God's original desire and dream for it. It doesn't often look good, but never forget this. God so loved the world. God so loves this world, the world that he made, the world in which we live, so loves that he gave his only son. Secondly, as we live in the in-between, we are not to pretend that all is well when so clearly it is not. C.S. Lewis wrote that the chief human problem was not that we were discontent and restless. Our problem, said Lewis, is that we are far too easily pleased. We do not live on a Hallmark movie set. We live in a real world which is broken and where there is poverty and injustice and pain and sickness and death and conflict and all manner of evil. St. Paul writes to the Ephesians, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We are called to acknowledge out loud to ourselves, to others, to God, that all is not well, and furthermore, that we ourselves cannot make things right. This is necessary because we cannot rejoice in the coming of a Savior until we acknowledge how much we need one. And finally, most importantly, perhaps, as we live in this tension, we admit that we live in a world that is broken, but we do not accept it. We are called to be about the business of making this world a better place in both word and deed. On the day of your baptism, after the water was poured over you and you were clothed in a white, pure garment and a candle was lit and you were anointed with oil, your pastor looked at you and declared, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Let your light shine, knowing this world cannot overcome it. This is what it looks like to live as a child of God in this good and broken world. This is what it looks like to live in the in-between. And this is how we, together, prepare the way so that all flesh may see the salvation of God. In the name of Jesus, amen.